We're talking about uh, disobedience proofing your life today. Turn to somebody and tell them it's all about the do. It's great that we're hearing because we can't have faith without it. It's great that we believe what we hear. And it's good that we say or speak or confess what we actually believe. But at the end of the day, if we don't do what the Word says, we won't get results in our lives. So nothing more important than the do. Turn around and tell somebody again, it's the do. So what do you think the enemy is doing right now? Everything he can to stop you from doing the will and the Word of God. That's his every single day waking moment for your life. Well, God is interested in you doing what the Word of God says, so you can have the things the Word says that you can actually have. I want you to understand, though, that uh, you don't live in a vacuum, you're not in a bubble, you live in a real world with a real devil and real influences and real temptations. How many of you believe that's true? The good news is Jesus overcame them and so can you. Uh, in other words, our example is very, very great and very, very powerful. And the same tools that he used to walk in victory are available to you and to me. Now, we have all learned, have we not, that when we sin, there is a ripple effect of what we have done. It is blind and it is very short-sighted to think that we only affect ourselves when we violate God's Word. You can go through the Word of God and talk about people like David or talk about people you know, that, that cause great you know, destruction in the people of God's lives in Israel and even our own lives today and families. But I want you to think about not the ripple effect of your sin, but the ripple effect of the blessing that's on your life for doing the will of God. Amen? Say there's a ripple effect. In other words, you're, uh, you know, you're, uh, you know, your family background may be one of compromise, destruction, devastation, bad choices, poor choices, abuse, whatever it is. But you can make up your mind today. That stops with you. Amen. Come on, say it stops with me and it stops right now. In other words, the ripple effect of we being in this earth now as people it's not going to be further devastation to our downline, but our downline is blessed because we're going to do the will of God. Amen? Amen. Say, we are blessed. blessed. You're blessed, and your kids are blessed, and their kids are blessed, and their kids are blessed. To a thousand generations that love the Lord, we're going to have a ripple effect called the blessing and not the curse that comes because of disobedience or because of sin. If you're not careful, you become so sin conscious, you get paralyzed by it. At the same time, you need to use the wisdom of Scripture to put yourself in a position to continue to do the will of God, even though there's great pressure and temptation to do the opposite. And I'm telling you right now in this world, there is a darkness that has been unleashed. It's never been here before. It's greater than it's ever been before. But where sin abounds, what does the Bible say? Grace doth abound all the more. So you can get your eyes on, well, it's a great darkness and sin is abounding. But I'm going to put my eyes on the favor that's there because of what God has said in response. In other words, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. What he tried on the saints of old, what he tried on Jesus is the same thing he tries on you. And that empowers us to beat him every single time. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. I have a ripple effect. It's called the blessing. What are the ripples? The empowerment to prosper, increase, excel, go to the highest level, bear much fruit, and have longevity, glory to God. Turn to somebody and tell them you're going to live out your days and accomplish God's will. You're going to do His purpose, and then you can go home. To shake your finger at them and say, but not until then. <laughs> 
I've been meditating on this, and I want to read a scripture with you from 1 John, and then also from Matthew chapter 4. But let's look at 1 John first of all. When you found 1 John, let me know. 1 John 2 at verse 15. Every act of disobedience throughout Scripture and in our own lives comes down to really three categories or three open doors to the enemy. In John 2 verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, say everything, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So here's really the bottom line. Every single assignment against your life to get you to stop doing the will and the word of God, every single attempt of the devil to stop your obedience is going to come through one of three doors. It's going to come through the lust of the flesh. Say lust of the flesh. It's going to come from the lust of the eyes. Or it's going to come from the pride of life. Is that important to know? Yes, because when you know that, you're not surprised by what he tries to do. Now, there are lots of manifestations and, and, you know, lots of diversity in terms of how he does that. But this is what happens in the life of a person who's made up their mind. They're going to walk with God. Now, take Adam and Eve, for example. You know, Eve began to look at that fruit, and then it was pleasing to the eye, and she felt that, hey, it was going to be great for and suitable for getting wisdom. And you see there the pride of life, and you see there the lust of the eyes. Well, she bit, Adam bit, and it put us into this sin-cursed thing called this world and, and cost us, you know, everything God had for us. Jesus came and he paid the price and he redeemed us. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad you're redeemed from the curse now? But the principle is still the same. So in your life, if he's going to get you in a place of disobedience, it's going to be through the lust of the flesh, say it again, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now the first thing I want to do is make sure you understand each one of these and how they operate against your life. And then we're going to dive into some scripture here to encourage you that even though this is real, you're still more than a conqueror. Come on, say I'm more than a conqueror. When you, when you think about what he calls you, the, you're called a new creation, the righteousness of God in Christ, you're, you've been made more than conquerors. I don't know what you think about in terms of what you're conquering, but certainly the devil's device to get you to disobey is one thing you should conquer in your life. Right. Say it, I'm more than a conqueror. Let's look at these one at a time for just a moment. The lust of the flesh is everything that appeals to the carnal and physical appetite. Everything that appeals to the physical or carnal appetite. It, uh, it could be gluttony. Uh, it could be drunkenness. It could be anything, you know, dealing with uh, fornication or porneal, anything that is, that is outside the bounds of marriage in terms of sexuality. It could be anything like that. But it's important for you to understand today that as a, as a believer, just because you're in this world doesn't mean you're not going to have enticements come your way. But you have to identify those things and cut them off before they become desires, before they're acted upon, before they produce the fruit. Just like David. Take David as an example. David should have been where, church? Out there in the field leading his troops. Where was he? Lollygagging on top of his palace. And where did his eyes go? 
His eyes went towards something he shouldn't have been looking at and lust of the flesh rose up and, you know, lust of the eyes rose up. And also, I'm king, I can do what I want. Can I tell you something? This idea that you're a believer and you can do what you want because there's grace, that's heresy. I'm king, I can do what I want. God will forgive it. Well, God certainly forgave David, but was there a ripple effect of what he did? You understand what I'm saying to you? Forgiveness, but the ripple is still in play. We have to be mindful of this. So the lust of the flesh is where you have this, these, these physical desires, you have these carnal desires. And what happens is you, you begin to have an inordinate and unusual or disproportionate, uh, you know, excessive desire or to be hot after something in terms of your life, to be hot upon something. It's any sinful desire that's contrary to the will of God. In other words, it's a life that's dominated by your senses instead of dominated by the Spirit of God. Say, lust of the flesh. So he may come at you in this way. He may come at you by trying to manipulate, you know, that flesh and get you to choose in the direction of something that goes against the will and the Word of God. I want you to be aware, though, that uh, there's no way for him to do this without your cooperation. No one ever made you sin. You choose to allow that thing to come into your life. Say it with me, the lust of the flesh. What does the word say about this? Well, in, in Romans 13, 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh. Say no provision. You know, some Christians want to live clean in a dirty world, but then they put themselves in a position to constantly be enticed. Don't do that. Are you here today? Instead, do what Romans 8 tells us. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to think this, this message as kind of a little checklist. How many you know when you go on a trip somewhere, you kind of check things out? If you're smart, you check your tires out. Amen. Check, make sure the oil's in there, making sure you have enough gas to get where you're going. Amen. Mechanically, make sure everything is sound. Make sure you packed everything and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you're ready to go. Well, the same things with your life, except in, in this context, you're on a journey, but it's called the journey of life. How much more important is for you to watch what's going on in your life? To check things. So what I want you to first of all is, is check your fruit in your life. If you're going to overcome and you're going to set yourself up to deal with the enemy's onslaught to get you into a place of disobedience, you need to check your fruit. You can focus on the flesh if you want to, but what you need to do is develop the fruit that's going to cause you to make right choices in your life. You know, uh, I remember when we moved mom and dad here, from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we got uh, Tim, and Tim and I flew out to Phoenix. Everybody say Phoenix. And then we rented a Penske truck and then filled it with everything they had acquired over a very long life together. It was filled to the brim, to the top, all the way to the door. I had this temptation around Albuquerque just to open the back of that thing <laughs> because what went in was going to have to come out. Amen. <laughs> But I didn't. I was a good boy, and I drove. And I was in there 
you know, driving this thing, which I'd never done before. And uh, dad was sitting there over here sleeping pretty much the whole way. I found out my dad could sleep in any configuration or any kind of situation <laughs> in that van. <laughs> He's leaning like this up against the dad's room like that. Just, you know, and uh, it was something else. And then mom uh, and Tim were driving their van. Uh, mom's on the passenger side. Tim was driving it. And we got around... Oklahoma, and how many know the winds in Oklahoma are very, very, very fast and very powerful? And I've got this van, and so I'm just swerving basically all over the place. Well, apparently he was too. I didn't catch the attention of the state patrol, but they did catch the attention of the state patrol. And so I'm just driving down the highway, and I notice they're no longer behind me. They're no longer behind me because I got pulled over. And the straight trooper walks up to the passenger side and looks inside and looks at my mom and says, uh, been drinking? <laughs> mom goes, been moving. Been moving. <laughs> and then he had a revelation. That was her Penske truck going down, going down the highway. Everything's packed and ready to go for an adventure. Amen. I want to tell you today that you need to check your fruit. And you know, the scripture tells us, and turn over there, Galatians chapter 5. It tells us and helps us. In verse 16, I say, walk in the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not, you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at somebody and say, shockingly, he's talking to the church. Come on, say it one more time. He's talking to the church. But, we now know about the flesh, but what about checking your fruit? But, the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the fruit that is developed from communion and fellowship with the Spirit of God in your life every day. What is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. We need to develop the fruit of the Spirit by walking in the Spirit. If we do this, we'll not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now, if you're having some kind of a you know, desire dangling in front of your eyes and you've not been fellowshipping with God, you've not been fellowshipping with the Spirit of God, you're far more likely to yield to that thing than when you are actively cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you know, you can't wait until you're in the middle of a temptation and say, you know what, I really should have developed my fruit. <laughs> it's very difficult to build a house in the middle of a storm. And it's very difficult to draw on spiritual forces that you've not taken time to cultivate. And that's what I want to point out to you, is these are not just fruit, they're forces. They will produce in your life. They do good things in your life, but you need to have them activated when the enemy shows up in your life. Amen? So check your fruit. Tell somebody, check your fruit. Come on, shout it out. Check your fruit. 
cultivating the fruit of the Spirit is to cultivate the consciousness and character of the Spirit of God. Cultivating the fruit of the Spirit is to cultivate a consciousness and, and similar character that the Spirit of God actually has. And here's what you can have absolute confidence in. The Spirit of God will never lead you into sin. Ever. Come on, shout it out with me. The Spirit of God will never lead me into sin. Does that sound like a good thing? Yes, fellowship with Him, commune with His Spirit, cultivate love, joy, peace, etc. And here comes the operation of the enemy trying to get me into disobedience. I'm going to have the consciousness and the character of the Spirit of God who's not going to lead me into sin. I'm always going to know to choose the right way and ignore the other path. Amen? But how hard is it to do that when you've not been in fellowship with Him? You know, coming to church is great. This is where you learn. It's where you get activated. It's where you contribute. Amen. It's where you worship God. It's where you spur one another on love and good works. But this is, not, you know, not going to happen necessarily this morning. I, I have pretty good confidence that most of you are not going to give over to the sins of the flesh while you're sitting here. And if you do, the Lord will show me and I'll point it out. <laughs> This really isn't the battleground. Your biggest battle right now is, how long is he going to preach because I'm hungry and what restaurant am I going to that doesn't have a crowd? That's your biggest battle. Did I hit a sore spot there? Amen. <laughs> he really does listen to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, I thank God for the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, I thank God for the Holy Ghost. I'm going to check my fruit. I'm not going to yield to the flesh and be destroyed with a ripple effect that just doesn't damage me, but my downland. I'm going to have a ripple effect of the blessing, amen, because the Spirit of God is working in my life. And He's not just there to teach and preach you about sermons and, and spiritual principles. He'll do the natural things for you as well. He'll warn you and alert you and help you. He'll help you find things. I, I told you this story. I'll tell you again because I like telling it. My sermon, I'll tell the stories I want to. Amen. You can just edit them out if you want. But I'm, I'm sitting there uh, listening to my sister one afternoon. I really wasn't walking with God. She had gotten turned on for the things of God. And she said, I've lost my contact. Now, how many you know back then, those contacts were very, very, very expensive. And uh, lost her contact. I said, okay. You know, it, it's always an adventure. Amen. It's not just a sister. It's an adventure. <laughs> And uh, she loses the contact. I said, so what do you want me to do? I want you to help me go out and open these two big green trash bags and go and find the contact. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> well, she was serious. And she said, Holy Spirit, show me where that contact is. So we rip open the first bag, and there's trash, and there's all kinds of junk, you know. And we open up the second trash bag, and there's... there's <laughs> There's eggshells and coffee grounds and whatever you'd expect to find in, in trash. And there she all of a sudden, she's praying on the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden she takes her finger and she swipes into an eggshell. It's her contact. She puts it in her mouth, washes it off, and then pops it back into her eye. <laughs> but I say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. He knows where contacts are. I'm telling you, it pays to be in fellowship and communion with him. That's the way our lives should be 
not all the time falling into temptation because we're in disobedience, but using the spiritual forces for our good rather than ignoring them to our demise. Lord just did this again the other day, you know. Uh, mom and dad have a trust and they have trust documents and, and, you know, he went on to be with the Lord and she doesn't know where they're at. They're not in the safe where they should have been. They're out floating around somewhere. She couldn't find them. I had no idea where they were. And all of a sudden I'm talking to her, you know, attorney and trying to get things settled for her. And uh, they're not there. Pretty important to find them. And uh, well, Holy Spirit, show me where those documents are. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Come on, say, thank God for the Holy Ghost. It don't make any difference if it's a lost toy, a lost part, if it's a checkbook. I found this out with Mark Grant. I never knew a man to lose his checkbook more than he did. He'd always find it, but he'd always lose it. And he'd go to Dollar General and not get a pack, a, a pair of reading glasses, but a couple packs of reading glasses. I said, why do you do that? Because I'm always losing these glasses. Holy Ghost cares, doesn't he? <laughs> so I just felt impressed. I, I went into his room, and, and that's not easy to do, you know. Uh, in fact, the last time he was in that house, he was on the floor. I picked him up, took him to the hospital. A few days later, he was with Jesus. It was not easy to do, and, and really didn't enjoy it at all. But all of a sudden I had an impression to go over to the other side of his bed. I looked down and the chest of drawers at the bottom rung. There's, there's no facing on that drawer. And in a little wicker basket was a binder. And there the trust documents were intact. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. He knows where things are. He knows how to guide you. He knows how to protect you. And he also knows how to warn you off, warn you away from things that are going to damage you. And choices and things and even people sometimes. Amen. Look at somebody and say, some people have no business being around you. Say it with me. I'm cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. I'm cultivating the consciousness and character of the Spirit of God. Say, so He'll never lead me to violate his word. Glory to God. You need to check your fruit. Nobody else is going to do it for you. And it might be real obvious to you if you're short with people, amen, cantankerous, if you can't wait a few seconds for your hamburger McDonald's, go off on people, amen. <laughs> it's getting awful quiet here. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> Let's just say we all have that in common. Amen. Amen. Number two, you need to check your gaze. Not just your fruit, but your gaze. If you check your gaze, you check the lust of the eyes. Let's understand what it means by the phrase, lust of the eyes. It's everything that appeals to the eyes' insatiable demands. In other words, we desire what we see. We desire what we keep looking at. Now, maybe if David glanced over there and saw this woman in the bathtub and turned his eyes away, he'd have been okay, but that's not what happened. Amen, church? There are things in your life you need to turn your gaze away from. We desire what we see, and our focus determines our desires in life. Literally, we can be captivated by outward shows of materialism and natural things. 
But listen to what gaze actually means, and this will help you understand where you should go from here. To gaze means to look steadily and intently, especially in admiration. We begin to desire greatly. That's what we consistently gaze at. When you're gazing at something, it's going to produce good results if it's a godly thing. It's going to produce destructive results if it's not a godly thing. Listen to this scripture in Matthew 6. Jesus basically said this, If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Your eyes can either lead you into victory, into peace, into holiness, into purity, or your eye can lead you down the road of destruction. Remind yourself here of what James 1 says in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Turn to somebody and tell them, do what it says. Come on, say it. Do it. Do it. It's in the do, isn't it, church? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it looks intently into what? Into the law, into the word that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. There's sin and a ripple effect of sin. Guess what? There is righteousness and the blessing and the ripple effect. And what's the difference? Hearing what God says and doing it. Putting your gaze in the right place. Some of you, your, your focus is in the wrong place. I'm telling you, if your focus is in all the problems and sins of the past, your focus is in the wrong place. If your gaze is on everybody else's life and what they're doing and what they're getting and how everything's going in their life, your gaze is in the wrong place. Put your gaze back onto the things of God. Put your gaze back onto the Word of God. We know that faith cometh by hearing, but if you're going to be successful in checking the attempt of the devil to get you into disobedience, you're going to have to check your gaze and deal with it by watching things and looking at things that will bring victory and peace into your life. Proverbs 4.15, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly above you. Hebrews 12, 2 says this from God's word for today. We must focus on Jesus, the source and goal of our faith. He saw the joy ahead of him, so he endured death on the cross and ignored the disgrace it brought him. Now he holds the honored position, the one next to God, the Father on the heavenly throne. Turn to somebody and tell them, fix your eyes, fix your gaze on Jesus. And you say, how do I do that? He's not physically here, but he did leave his word behind. Did he not? You say, well, I try to do that. I just, uh, I just get into a habit, you know, and get busy. There's nothing more important than you spending time in his word. Because I promise this, if you don't gaze on this, you'll gaze on everything else. Gazing, the ability to gaze is not the issue. Everybody in this room has the ability to gaze. It's what you're gazing at that makes all the difference in the world. Um, Mom and Dad had a, a park model up in the mountains of, just northwest, about four, four and a half hours of Phoenix, Arizona. Real cool, you know, during the hot summer months and everything. And dad's favorite ball player, Gonzo from, uh, you know, Arizona Diamondbacks. His number was going to be retired this day. So he's sitting in front of the TV with a tray. Mom provided him with some soup and some moisture crackers. And he was gazing at that TV. He was focused on what was going on with that, uh, that retirement celebration for his favorite ball player. Some point in time, he took out a very expensive hearing aid and set it on the tray. 
next to some oyster crackers. Everybody say he was gazing. Come on, say he was gazing. And as he gazed at that television set, he picked up the hearing aid and stuck it in his mouth and crunched it. That was about a $2,500 mistake, wasn't it? Amen. Everybody say, bon appetit, bless God. <laughs> what was he doing? He was gazing. But was he paying attention to what he was actually doing? No. That's a funny story, but a lot of us do the same thing. We're kind of all on autopilot, just looking over here and looking, not paying attention to what actually has happened in our lives. Turn to somebody and tell them, your gaze needs to be checked. It needs to be in the right direction. It needs to be focused on the right thing. You check your fruit, check your gaze, and number three, check your motives. You check your motives and you'll check the pride of life trying to come in and steal God's goodness and best for you. The pride of life is everything that appeals to haughtiness and arrogance and pride. It's a wandering about an arrogant self-sufficiency and self-direction. You can always recognize the pride of life in a Christian because they could care less about the will of God. They could care less about his directions for their life. They could care less about doing what they want. Uh, the American society is very mobile, partly because of education, partly because of jobs, whatever it is, but it's mostly because people just think this is the way you're supposed to do life. American Christians have bought into a lot of things Americanized that are not necessarily scriptural. I grow up, go to school, maybe graduate from college or get a trade, and then go decide where I want to live, where I want to work and do what I want to do. You have missed the boat completely. At some point in time when you got born again, it's no longer you that lives but Christ that lives in you. At that point, you die daily. So where you want to work is irrelevant. Where you want to live is irrelevant. Some of you are shocked to hear this because you were not discipled correctly in what it means to have a Lord. There are too many Christians walking around in self-directed mode. And it's not scriptural. You're not being taken out because some floozy came by and tempted you. You're not being taken out because you saw something went after that was wrong or perverse. You're being taken out by the pride of life because someone hasn't explained to you to direct your life on your own is in fact the pride of life. Come on, say it. I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's when you come together and, and, and there's pastoral teaching, you have to understand it's there to protect you. There is a, a flightiness and a flakiness in the body of Christ that can't be there if we're going to achieve what we're called to get in these last days and do in these last days. And it's one by one, Krishna realizing that you're supposed to be dead. Come on, say it. I'm supposed to be dead. But I'm telling you that's the exception in the American church rather than the rule. Who was it that said that he was going to ascend to the, to the throne of God? If you look at that scripture, you'll see the, the phrase, I, 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 I. 
That's not the way it should be for a believer. James came along and he said, now look, it's, it's, if you know what God's word says about a matter, then you know what his will is. But on matters of direction and matters of the future, matters of God's purpose, intent, and leadership and guidance for you, it's not written explicitly in scripture. That's why we must listen to the Holy Ghost and do what he tells us to do. And James says, look, you're going to go over here and you're going to sell and buy and do business. You ought to be saying, if the Lord wills. Now, religious people took that to mean you should always pray if it be thy will. No, it's stupid to pray if it be thy will when his word plainly reveals his will. When I'm praying for somebody to get saved or I'm praying for them, leading them in the salvation message, I am not going to pray, Lord, if it be your will, save them. Why would I not do that? Because I know it's his will. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to that place of salvation. I know his will. I also know that everybody that asked Jesus to heal them in the New Testament, he did. So I don't have to pray if it be thy will. That is a misapplication of what James taught. But what James did teach, he said, hey, you self-directing Christians, your job is to listen to God and follow his course for your life. That's what pride of life is all about. And sometimes we're making those decisions because you want to look good or want to one-up other people. Everything that that smacks of of a wrong motive in your life is attached to the pride of life. Why do you want to do what you're doing? I've had people that uh, through the years in the ministry, if, um, if they got to be on a platform thinking it's something special, can I tell you what, what being on a platform does for a Christian? Can I tell you what it does? It makes you a bigger target. That's what it does. And I, I want to do this, and I want to be on the platform, and if they don't get to, all of a sudden they don't want to be a part of a church. Can you see what's wrong with that? And I ought to be, I'm going to go where God tells me to go. And if he wants me to do that, God, my gift, and God will make room for me. And he'll do the rest. I had one character come to me one day and he said, you know, so-and-so's not going to come. And so-and-so's going to find another church, you know, if you don't let him start speaking more. I'm like, really? After all these years under the word, really? Is, Is that what you grabbed on to? I said, well, I won't be chasing after him. And you'd have thought I'd hit that man in the head with a frying pan. You won't. No, because the motive is wrong. Come on, say, my gift will make room for me. If you're raised up, you better stand up. If you're called to preach, you better do it. If you're called to lead and worship and play an instrument, you better do it. If you're called to get up here and become a bigger target, you better do it. But I'll tell you this, if all he called upon you to do is be faithful and be a volunteer and do your ministry, that's just as important as everything we do up here. And the implication that it's not is hurting the church. You that volunteer for the fall festival, you're extremely important to the kingdom of God. Somewhere along the line is going to be a child look at you and seeing the joy in your face and the commitment. And you just being there is going to alter their course for eternity. You matter. And you don't have to be such a big target. I've heard ladies say, when I grow up, I want a ministry just like Joyce Meyer. No, you don't. 
<laughs> you don't. Amen. <laughs> Gerald Osteen took over Lakewood. Uh, the church grew about five times under his leadership. Thousands of people coming to Christ every single month. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he took his son up to where the, uh, the you know, compact center was renovated in Houston. It's a beautiful facility and a beautiful place of Houston. And, and he brought his son up there and and Joel just kind of along the same line as his dad, you know, just think, you know, one day you'll, you know, you'll be speaking from this platform. He looks out, <laughs> he says, he says, no, he goes, I'm going to preach in the Astrodome. <laughs> you know, because he had this idea. What is, he had a vision going out there, man, that God was calling him. And if he does, praise the Lord. But can I tell you something? There's a price to pay. Let me help you out here. Most of you can't take a little bit of criticism on the workplace, let alone entire YouTube channels dedicated to criticizing you. Books written not to edify and build up the body of Christ, but to tear down people in the ministry. Amen? Look at somebody and tell them, self-directing your life is the pride of life. Come on, say it with me. No ripple effect here. <laughs> say it with my ripple effect is the blessing of God. And so if, if grandma and grandpa that way and mom and dad that way, we're going to be that way. Our kids are going to be flaky. Their kids are going to be flaky because we taught them, contrary to the teaching of the apostle, we did not teach them to deal with the pride of life. Well, I'm American Christian. Americans do what they want. That's the problem. Turn to somebody and tell them your allegiance is to Jesus Christ first and foremost. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen? amen. That means if he needs you here, that's where you are. He needs you over there, that's where you are. He needs you at a certain place and point in time in, in the city tomorrow morning, that's where you need to be. See, get rid of that pride of life and now you're available to do whatever he wants to do in you and through you. Amen. Say it, less of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, pride of life, having right motives. Amen. Bible tells us we're to love our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. That should be our waking motivation every single day. Amen. But if we're calling the shots, who do we really love? If you said self, then you would be right. Amen. Listen to this. A, ways, a person's ways seem pure to them or right to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 16, 2. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Everybody say motives. motives. Hebrews 4:12. God's word is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet, the place where joints and marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions. Say thoughts, thoughts. Intentions, intentions, motives. motives. Proverbs 16, 18, pride go up before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Tell you what I observe. At a certain point in your life, uh, you're not as, you're not as uh, subject to or 
are prone to, I'll put it this way, uh, the lust of the, the flesh or lust of the eyes. But I can tell you this, as long as you walk this earth, you're going to try, you're going to see the devil trying to dangle that pride of life thing in front of you. And oftentimes you're not even aware that you're going down a path that God never orchestrated, that pride orchestrated. It's very deceptive, isn't it? Jeremiah said the human heart is what? Desperately wicked. It's deceitful. Uh, that's, when, that's when you hear people say this and you start quoting Hollywood instead of the Word of God. Just follow your heart, darling. Just follow your heart. Follow your heart. It's what? It's desperately wicked. Why would you follow your heart? Well, follow your head. Don't do that either. <laughs> Especially if it's not renewed. Right. Amen. Amen. Unrenewed head. <laughs> Desperately wicked heart. God help us. <laughs> and he has. The steps of a righteous man or order to the Lord. You'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. He knows we got a head problem. He knows we got a heart problem. He knows we have a soul problem. Whatever we feel is gospel to a lot of people. Amen. (laughs) Deciding you have a better idea than what God has said is a manifestation of pride. To deviate from his word is pride, plain and simple. Pride of life, this speaks of why we do things. We sometimes disobey because to have or to do that thing makes us temporarily feel good about ourselves, our lives, or even better than others. Who are we trying to please? Hey, I'm trying to please God and not myself. It'll manifest in fear, jealousy, envy, insecurity, pride, and anger. You'd be amazed. The crazy things out there are driven in Christians' lives because they're technically insecure, and insecurity is a manifestation of their pride. All sin and disobedience comes down to a violation of the love commandment, God and others. The motive, the lifestyle, the highest priority has to be love. Not looking good, saving face, or being exalted. Can I have an amen? Amen. The body of Christ was never supposed to be like cheers where everybody knows your name. Amen. Come on, say it. Bigger platform. Bigger target. There was a simple song years ago that, that Amy Grant put out. When I first heard it, I was a baby, baby Christian. And uh, it was on an early, early album she did. She was very, very young when she sang it. But the lyric just goes very simply, all I ever have to be is what you made me. It's liberating to know that you don't have any expectations for yourself other than what God has for you. Don't other people thrust them on you, and don't you create any kind of thing that would force you into a place of pride, because pride is not your friend. Come on, say, pride Pride. is not my friend. Say, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, all cause a ripple effect. But what if I check my fruit? And what if I check my gaze? And what if I check my motives? You know what that's going to cause me? It's going to cause me to stay in a place of obedience. And a blessing will come with the obedience. Amen? I'll be having a ripple effect for sure. Hallelujah. I tell you, it's real. 
Um, my grandfather called him Bud Castle. Was a my mom's own testimony. I'm not telling you anything that you probably haven't had similar things in your family. But uh, he was a drunkard, nicest man you'd ever know if he was not drinking. Um, and he didn't do that when he came to our house in Illinois. Uh, he might have had a beer or whatever, but he didn't do that. But that's not the experience of the four daughters that he had. He was a drunkard, and he was a womanizer. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And uh, one time he, he came in, and, and he cashed his check and went down to the bar. And just in a little while, isn't this true? He drank all the money up. I think mom was like 13, 14 years old. Could you imagine this? Marching down to the bar and demanding the bartender give him, give him back that money. Put in a position like that. Um, you know, left, left to that ripple effect, none of us stood a chance. I mean, every one of us should have been off the hook, amen? Whatever, reprobates, drunkards. But I tell you what, one person can stop the ripple effect. My mom and dad decided that they were going to live godly lives, that they're going to raise a godly family, and it's not always easy, is it? I mean, you got four kids, you run from uh, you know baby to, to six years old, and you're going, I mean, that's long before the days of children's church. We go to a restaurant, and people would compliment mom on how well behaved those kids are. Um, I mean, that's a great compliment. Mom always had a look, just like that one. All she had to do was, was look. <laughs> All right, here today. And some of you have background just like that where it may not be the cleanest thing or the purest thing, but you can make a decision just like she did. Just like he did. Yes. Uh, my mom wasn't going to have some adulterer for a husband. Amen. Amen. And she made a place. She said, I'll kill you. Amen. <laughs> and he was a faithful man all the days of his life. Whatever works, whatever works. <laughs> some of you ladies are getting some idea. Oh, pastor said... <clears throat> And all I'm telling you is you don't have to carry that ripple into another generation. One man of God, one woman of God, doesn't make any difference whether if you help participate in the ripple effect yourself today, you can change everything. Understand what the apostle is saying. This is what is common to man. This is what the devil will use. He will use lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life to get to you. Those are the doors for every kind of temptation. But it can be different for you. I declare and I confess and I prophesy the ripple effect in your life is the blessing in Jesus' name. It's the empowerment of God to prosper in every area of your life. And you can always tell when you're on the, the right track because you handle these things just like the Lord Jesus. Turn to Matthew 4 and we're going to close with this. Come on, shout it out. There's a ripple effect coming from my life. And it's the blessing. Matthew 4. I'm going to find a little bit different translation here for you. Verse 
Verse 1, And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. Thereby say the flesh. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. And all this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. But the Luke version says the devil left him until an opportune time, which means, amen, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he'll be back. What does this narrative have in common with each temptation? It is written. He hit him with lust of the flesh, and Jesus hit back with what? With the word. Turn these stones into bread, and Jesus said, it is written. No argument, no debate with the devil. Just give him the sword of the Spirit. Amen? The word of God. It is written. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Tempted him. In the pride of life, defy God, throw yourself down. The angels will give charge over you and you'll be just fine. What did Jesus say? Do not tempt the Lord your God. Shows him all the kingdoms and the splendor of those kingdoms and says, I'll give them to you if you worship me, if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, it is written. Do what? Worship the Lord your God and him only serve. He hit him with what? With the word. Now, how many of you know this, this principle is true? Raise your head if you've ever heard this principle before. The key is, this is not going to happen if you've not been renewing your mind with the word. This is not going to happen if you've not been checking your fruit, amen, and checking your gaze and checking the condition of your heart and the motives of your heart. You have to be on the active ready all the time. I'm tired of fighting, Pastor. I don't want to do this anymore. Sorry, that's the way it is. The only way for Pastor to get you out of temptation, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, is to help execute you. And I'm not going to do that. Amen. As long as you're alive, say it, I'm alive. This is the reality. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Check your fruit. Check your gaze. Check your motives. And when he comes, you're going to be prepared. What? With what the Lord has to say about that matter. There is nothing. Listen, there's nothing the devil will throw at you. There's not a word for it. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, there's an app for that. <laughs> there's a piece of the word for that thing. Amen. Glory to God. Ripple effect. Is there a ripple effect to our sin? Yes. There's also a ripple effect to our righteousness. Come on, stand and give him a hand clap and thank him for that. Thank you, Father.